So Wes, here we are again, ready to go on our next adventure. Let me guess, another security rabbit hole? Yeah, but not quite, maybe? You see, today I want to talk a little bit about something more serious. You know, I've had a lot of fun talking to our friends in the security community, but today I want to focus on mental health and the way that it's viewed within the security community. I've been really open and really honest about my journey through burnout, and I've been really lucky, though, because I haven't had to take that journey alone. I've had my friends in the Mental Health Hackers organization to offer me a lot of support, and it dawned on me that a lot of people might not even know that that organization exists, so I invited my friend Megan from Mental Health Hackers to come on and talk to us a little bit about what they do. Now, Megan, thanks so much for agreeing to come on. Yeah, no problem. Would you mind telling us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, so I am a cyber threat analyst. I'm working at IBM now, mainly doing Intel research and stuff like that, uh, threat hunting and stuff. And um, since I've been in the industry, I've also been a regular, highly frequent conference attender. I've been speaking um, about my journey with uh, autism myself through in the security industry over the past few years. Um, And now I am the chief financial officer for mental health hackers. I talked a little bit about, you know, uh, mental health hackers and how you guys have helped me. How how did, you know, the organization come about? Like, how did you guys just decide this actually needs to be more than just a group of people, but an organization that's out there trying to get the message out? Yeah, so this started, it began in its first iteration or like kind of the the initial path towards it began when Amanda Berlin, uh, info sister on Twitter, she gave a talk on mental health in the industry. And it was kind of a new um, talk. Not many people were, were speaking publicly about that. Um, and after that talk, it was very well received. She had a lot of conversations. She felt it made a big difference. And so she decided to submit a call for villages to um, DerbyCon, the eighth DerbyCon. So 2018, um, she submitted what she called the mental health and wellness vid- uh, village. And there's a lot of support and backing from both the conference and from the community in terms of funding it, making sure that um, we could get the, the that she could get the supplies she needed. And then once again, coming out of that, she saw the impact. She saw how many people are talking about it and the difference that it made. And it kind of became a thing. More people were wanting the village run. And that's kind of like, well, if we're going to continuously do this and we're going to need financial support, maybe there should be a 501c3 behind it. So I'm going to take a step back and just kind of talk about the organization as a whole. Now, I saw on your website that it says your mission is to educate tech professionals about the unique mental health risk faced by those within our field. And I'm guessing that means the InfoSec field or is that the tech field as a whole? Um, So we mainly focus on information security. Um, Obviously, we're happy to talk to anyone. But uh, right now, yeah, information security is kind of our community that we're building. And it goes on and says, and often by the people who we share our lives with and provide guidance on reducing their effect and better manage the triggering causes. Can you kind of summarize what that means? Yeah. So um, like that, we said, there's mental health risks in the industry. You mentioned in your intro that your experiences with burnout, that's a common one, depression, anxiety. Um, obviously, we're a high stress industry, especially people who are in roles where kind of 
you get it right or, or your organization is at a heavy security risk, that puts a lot of um, pressure on security individuals. And so um, there's ways to help manage that. And often just people either they don't realize what they're going through, like a lot of people don't realize they've burned out till it's happened. Um, and, and so we like to kind of educate what people may face and prepare them for handling that. So it kind of brings us to the end of the mission statement, which says that we also aim to provide support services for those who are susceptible to related mental health issues, such as anxiety, depression, social isolation, eating disorders, et cetera. What type of services are you referring to there? You know, what type of support is offered through the organization? The great thing about having a a board and a volunteer group with mental health hackers who ourselves have faced many issues is we all kind of know different, we've all experienced different methods of handling mental health issues. Um, So a lot of us know about therapy and finding a therapist and the resources, the websites you can go to to do that. A lot of us know about getting a official diagnosis so that you can get prescription medications and can kind of give guidance on that. Um, We also have, we know about things like mental health first aid training. Um, We we gather resources on online support services, apps, um, just kind of making sure that people who are facing these things for the first time who might not know how to go about finding help know how to do it. Sounds like you've been, you know, many of you have been through this stuff. I'm sure it's it's easier maybe to talk to someone who, you know, has been on the same path. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of one of the things we advocate to is peer support. Um, a huge part of it is is making sure that that kind of we can speak from our own perspective and show that it's important to us. Um, I found that's helped a lot recently. I've had some friends who who have not felt comfortable talking about depression or other mental health issues. And they've said that me just sitting there and being open and asking any questions they ask without being like shying away from that, um, that itself is a huge help and kind of makes them feel more comfortable and willing to accept help. I think that's a really big and important point to make because, Wes, I don't know about you, but I don't know how comfortable I would be putting out a lot of this personal information um, just feared that maybe my employer might, you know, hear about it and start questioning me or that other people may view me differently because I've been open about my journey. There's a lot of stigma around mental health in a way that there might not be for other health issues. So, yeah, it can be, you know, if you're if you're saying that you have some some issues sometimes with your mental health, oftentimes people are suspicious instead of thinking, well, that that's just something you're working through like a, a thousand other things that are going on in everyone's lives. Megan, have you found that to be the case? Are people willing to have these conversations openly or are they more likely to kind of pull you over to the corner and want to talk privately? It's really a combination. I've actually, I think it's actually kind of a roadmap. So I've seen it myself where somebody will come to me, they'll kind of privately talk to me about things, privately open up about issues they're facing. Um, and then over time, they eventually get to the point where they're willing to share. So I at my company, I've had somebody they shared with me, but they said, don't tell anyone, like nobody knows about this at work. And then, you know, a couple months later, they said, hey, do you think I'd be okay to share it in, in the team channel? And then it's like, well, can I share? I'm going to share a bit wider. And so it's really a growth. And it's really a path. Like, I think I probably even had a slightly slower path. I've always been pretty open and 100% honest, but there was still kind of uh, kind of wiggle room of where I had to feel more comfortable. My comfort level changed. 
Um, and so I think it's really just, it's, it's a path and everyone's going to start off just wanting to talk in private and finding the people who they feel comfortable with. And maybe it, it may take a while, but eventually, hopefully they'll be willing to open up. Can you give us any tips on you know how to how to find those people? How if I'm struggling with something right now, whether that be depression or whether that be trying to work um, in the tech field by being neurodiverse, how do I start that conversation with someone to ask for help? I mean, honestly, that's part of the reason we started the organization and have like our Twitter page and a public facing presence. We get DMs all the time of people saying, hey, I'm in this situation. My mental health is affecting me. Like, do you guys have advice? And it's really cool because of the diversity of our board and our volunteers. We kind of know who to like hand things off to. So when a message comes in about like anxiety or depression, I know that Amanda's more equipped to handle that than I am. But if a message comes in from someone saying they have autism or bipolar disorder, she knows I'm more equipped to handle that. And so we kind of ourselves have our little community. I I know people who specifically have bipolar ADHD themselves. And so we have this little community of people we all know so that somebody says, hey, I just want to talk to someone. We're able to refer them to people or help them ourselves um, and yeah, InfoSec Twitter in general is is a great community. Uh, there's drama on occasion, but uh, there are people out there who will help. If if you've ever seen somebody post something about being depressed or suicidal, you'll see it followed up by a hundred comments from InfoSec professionals uh, offering help and offering to be a listening ear. So I'm about to ask a question that's going to walk a fine line, and I ask it out of ignorance, so I'm just going to put that out there. But when I was growing up and I was diagnosed with dyslexia, I was always told that I had special needs or, you know, I was part of the special ed program because I was being helped. So coming with your organization, it's the first time I've heard the term neurodiversity. And honestly, I I like it a lot more. Could you speak to that term and kind of how it's progressed through the industry? Yeah, um, I don't really get offended easily. So special needs and stuff like the words don't bother me. I mean, I do have special needs, like I need things differently. Um, But neurodiversity is a great way of promoting things. Kind of the same way we look at racial diversity, gender diversity, um, uh, you know, ethnic diversity, that kind of thing is we we want to have a community of different people who think differently, have different backgrounds, have different experiences, because that's the only way we're going to get a whole picture. Um, if, if you hire a bunch of people or keep a group of people who all think alike, you're never going to get the best solution because you don't have people thinking about the problem the same way. So neurodiversity is, is such a blanket term. Um, some it's kind of hard to say anyone's really neurotypical because uh, obviously everybody's a bit different. But neurodiversity really is a term that highlights individuals who who think differently and operate differently from the average person, um, typically diagnosed with something like uh, ADHD or you know chronic depression or anxiety disorders, things like that. So um, it's kind of just a good way to represent that 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 we're different but not in a bad way. And it, and it has like, as you said, you hadn't heard it before. And I guess I kind of feel like I heard it early on. I don't even know where I would have heard it, but I started using it and hearing it early on. And it wasn't until recently that I, I like doing podcasts and stuff. People have been asking to define that term. And I'm like, wait, this isn't, this isn't a thing. Like this isn't common knowledge. I like it. And it makes me feel uncomfortable because it makes me 
I don't know the right way to say it, but before I felt like I almost had to be ashamed about the fact that I was dyslexic, that it took me a different path to be able to read something and learn something. But when you say neurodiversity, I'm like, okay, hey, I'm a little bit different, but it's okay. So it's an empowering term to me. Yeah. Earlier, you talked about the village that Amanda helped put together at DerbyCon. Now, you've continued these villages through quite a few uh, different conferences, haven't you? Uh, Yeah, I think we are probably close to 20 villages, if not like right on there now. 2019 was insane and 2020 is already getting booked up. I think we've got a village every weekend in June 2020 already planned. And for people that aren't conference hoppers like us, can you talk a little bit about what a mental health village is? You know, what is the goal of it? What do you accomplish? What do you do there? Yeah, it's got a few goals. The first is kind of security conferences, especially for the, we have a lot of introverted people in the security industry, um, especially a lot of first timers who come out and, and see our crazy little infosec family. Uh, it can be overwhelming, especially, I mean, conferences now they can have like five tracks and 10 villages. And I mean, it's overwhelming just to look at a conference schedule for the first time sometimes. And so, uh, the kind of first goal is to have this space where you just forget you're you're at like while we love security conferences, it's still work related. You're still focused on on infra infosec. So this village is a way to step away from the craziness of a security conference, step away from these huge daunting challenges being talked about, and literally just chill. So we have coloring book, adult coloring books. We have fidget toys. We have like air loungers and bean bags and. We really just trying to make it a fun space where people can chill out and and kind of make their mind drift off for a little while. Um, I know I myself cannot sit through talks for eight hours a day. Uh, I just don't have the attention span, and so uh, I usually I usually like I, I myself like having that space um, to just kind of get away from from all the overwhelming amount of information being thrown at me and you know, the overwhelming amount of socialization. Um, But also in the village, uh, we have resources. So kind of like we talked about flyers for different mental health services, informational pamphlets, anything, you know, that somebody might walk up and and be interested in learning about. Maybe they didn't even know they wanted to learn about it um, or they didn't want to ask anyone for resources. We have a table full of all these mental health resources. Um, And then at some conferences, we'll even have our own talk track of talks all focused on mental health uh, or even discussion groups. Uh, For me, one of the things I love to see when I'm running the village is kind of people sit down in a circle and just start openly talking about their issues. Uh, At Besides Austin, we had uh, one of my friends run a discussion group on ADHD and security, and it was this room full of people. And People eventually, it was a slow start, but people eventually start opening up, talking about the medications they've been on, talking about the challenges they had at work, talking about like how open they've been and it's, and how they, you know, help themselves. And that was probably one of my favorite moments. I had to cut it off because of a closing ceremony happening. And I was so disappointed because I was just like, my brain was just so happy to see a group of like a dozen information security professionals just talking with each other and asking each other questions and offering advice. 
And I wanted to talk a little bit about the community reaction to the workshops. And I mean, obviously, you just told a lot of great stories about how people's lives have been impacted. But if we're going to put it all out there, there has been a little bit of controversy with the group because some people are saying that maybe you shouldn't be doing this since none of you are classified as mental health professionals. How has your organization dealt with that? I don't want to say negative feedback, but with that feedback. A few of us are a little hot-headed, so there was some frustration at first, but we also, we truly believe in what we're doing, um, and, and we're we're not going to try and, like, then negatively portray ourselves in any way. So the first idea was I would go get a PhD in psychology and become a licensed therapist, and then tell everyone, I told you so, <laughs> but that might take a little bit long, so... We decided to go uh, a different route. And like part of it is just like haters going to hate kind of thing. Like Amanda always says she knows she's she's impacted people's lives. She's heard from people. She truly believes when people have said like to her, like your talk or your village prevented me from committing suicide. So she's she fully believes it. And I fully believe in everything we do, too. And so do our volunteers. Um, And so in some ways, it's like anything you talk about on the internet is going to be hated. Like we could be a board of all medical people and then they'd complain we don't have any security professionals on our team. So it's kind of like part of it's just accepting that that there's going to be negativity. Um, But Amanda also always likes proof. So she's actually gathered dozens of resources and done so much research into the value of peer support. Um, so especially a lot of research surrounding like AA and how that has shown the the positives of peer support. Um, so definitely if you want to fight her, uh, you, you can go to her and she's armed and ready to tell you why why what we do is important and why it works. Um, and, and we do, we, we know people, we know doctors, we would never, ever offer actual medical advice. Um, and that's why we have our resources lined up about therapy and psychology services, because we aren't able to, you know, prescribe you medication or give you proper therapy, but we can be a peer support group and encourage you to go get help from medical professionals. So, um, I, Megan, thank you so much for everything that your organization is doing, because I know it's definitely impacted my conference abilities. But if other people want to get involved with the mental health hackers, how would they go about that? If you DM our Twitter account and kind of tell us a bit about you, we're always looking for volunteers. And we've got some a program called the Ambassador Program where uh, you can potentially bring the village yourself and run it under our name. Um, and and we just always love having a pool of people who have different experiences to pull from. So if you DM our Twitter, we can get you into our volunteer Slack um, and talk with you. And we always have good conversations in there. We even have a D for Fit channel where we encourage each other to get up and get moving. Oh, nice. And if they want to check out the village, where can they find you? Oh, a lot of places. Um, I myself like haven't even kept up with where all we're going to be. I know we have B-Sides Newcastle coming up in England, uh, B-Sides Fredrickson, I believe, in Canada. Um, and I know that there's been interest for uh, Blue Team Con next year. I'm, of course, going to bring it back to B-Sides San Antonio and B-Sides Austin if they have it next year, have me next year. 
So we're all over the place. And if you go on our website, we have a calendar that kind of lists the events that we're going to be at. And we always post on our Twitter too about the different events. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to join us. And I mean, just thank you for everything you're doing, you and the entire organization. No worries. Thank you for having me on here to talk about it. 